Being with your changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the simplest cloud platform for developers and teams with products like Droplets, Spaces, Kubernetes, Load Balancers, Block Storage, and pre-built one-click apps. You can deploy, manage, and scale cloud applications faster and more efficiently on DigitalOcean. Whether you're running one virtual machine or 10,000, DigitalOcean makes managing your infrastructure way too easy. Get started for free with a $100 credit. Head to do.co slash changelog. Again, do.co slash changelog. Welcome to GoTime, a podcast featuring a diverse panel and special guests discussing cloud infrastructure, distributed systems, microservices, Kubernetes, Docker, oh, and also Go. We record live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern, New Pacific. Join the community of Slack with us in real time during the show in the GoTime FM channel and go for Slack. Follow us on Twitter. We're at GoTime FM. Listen live at changelaw.com slash live or subscribe at changelaw.com slash GoTime. And now on to the show. Welcome to GoTime. I'm Matt Raya. Today, we're talking about hiring and interviews. Joining me, a veritable cast of characters from around the Go community. Uh, we have Johnny Borsico, we have Ashley McNamara, and we have Carmen Ando. Is that right? Correctly pronounced, Carmen. You sure did. Oh, yes. It's, uh, that's, that's already a good day. I'm already happy with how this podcast is going. Well, what have you done this, this last week? What have you been up to? I just got back from Europe. I think you and I did a swap over the ocean. But yeah, I was in Austria. I spoke at Dev One conference, um, which is a great conference, and also did infrastructure as a meetup and Kubernetes London. So I kind of did the rounds, and it was fun. Wow, busy. Yeah. Yeah, I was just in New York City with Johnny, actually. Yeah, not Steve. Not Steven. <laughs> we don't acknowledge Steve anymore. <laughs> so when I want to go out uh, for hanging out, I just say, "Hey, you want? Are you up for a bit of not Steven? <laughs> is that exactly. the new thing? Okay, all right. Yeah, that's the. He should know about this already. <laughs> so. Johnny did a great talk at Gotham Go about diversity. Yeah, I'm- Johnny. Yes, I really liked your talk. Yeah, it's. I, I think. Um, Actually, I did mention during the talk that it was it was kind of a it was kind of a hard hard talk for me to put together because um, you know obviously it, it it brought up a lot of uh, sort of a, um, I guess emotional baggage I would say that sort of come along with sort of doing the work and putting it together it was uh, I was hoping to connect with the audience but I really it kind of forced me to do some like introspection of my own so it was it was a good talk indeed so and thank you for liking it and, and i had some people come over and, and basically mentioned that it, was, it resonated with them as well so i'm looking forward to the recording although i'll be i'll be very self-critical when i when i do watch it if i watch it at all mm. <laughs> do you watch your recordings i can't ever watch myself yeah i i've stopped doing it I've, i was way too hard on myself <laughs> is it, is it going to be available soon johnny i would love to see it um, yeah, it depends on, on, on how soon the, the Gotham Go team gets around to sort of, uh, um, you know, doing whatever edit, post edits that they do. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping it'll come out uh, within the next uh, couple of weeks or so. Mm. I saw a fabulous group shot 
of everyone that attended. And my favorite part was that everyone was all smiles. And then there's Matt on the end and he looks utterly confused, which is his baseline. (laughs) But it was fantastic. I don't know. I like Matt's posture. He's sort of like standing (laughs) upright. It's just very proper posture going on. Yes. I like to stand bolt upright whenever I can. <laughs> just, really, just really, uh, you know, just so I look na- natural and like I'm having a good time. Yeah, yeah. Very approachable. I liked it. Ashley, wait, you remember when we did Gopherize Me, right? Yes. Um, How could I forget? In a way, those, those gophers are kind of like our children. And there's billions of them. Billions. Yeah, we need to make an update. Here, real soon. I know we've said that many times. An update to what? Add more or kill some? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Don't. No, we we cannot kill our children, Matt. Uh, We need more. We need more in the family. Uh. (laughs) So who's babysitting when both of you have to do work? I just have to know who's babysitting these five billion plus children. Um, Matt's a stay-at-home gopher dad. (laughs) Yeah, I work remotely. (laughs) They're awesome. I see them all over the place. It's really cool. And obviously, I don't take any credit for it because I essentially just put some PNGs on top of each other. But Ashley, <laughs> I see them everywhere and it's great. It really, it's really kind of um, comforting whenever I see it. And, I, and for some reason, it makes me trust whatever the project is more. Mm. You know what? Same. Uh, I see them everywhere as well, especially on Amazon. So <laughs> that, that, that's been fun. Yeah, that's not me. <laughs> hey people stop selling my gophers on Amazon <laughs> yeah but that's that's kind of cool still but yeah don't do it because it's creative commons isn't it yeah I mean technically I guess they could but don't yeah. I thought you couldn't technically uh, it's loose okay we'll have to do a podcast on licensing but uh, until then the dark mm. underworld of copyright infringement merchandise in Amazon is I'm sure its own episode as well. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. I, I mean, obviously, I sell a lot of Mark Bates memorabilia, so. <laughs> as one yeah. does, right? Yeah, yeah. But apart from that, yeah, I'm up for it. Well, so it, today we're talking about hiring and interviews, and I thought we could kick off by just sort of what what do we think? Do we have any good interview experiences, or, and do we have any uh, any things that we think are, are that work well in interviews? Hmm. I really liked how Travis CI did interviews um, for everybody. And that was not having whiteboarding. And that was just amazing because they sort of said, listen, we're hiring for you. We've already done some of our due diligence um, regarding maybe we looked at some of your code or we see that you're experienced and we're going to trust that. And instead, we'd rather to sort of see how you handle conflict and conflict resolution, how you work within a team, how you, your personality likes to collaborate. And these are really good things. I think that those are the best interview experiences to try to get to the gist of, I mean, I think you talked about how people or somebody um, in this prep doc said that people are the most important part of a team. So how do we pick who we work with, right? So we're not picking their code, we're picking them. And so having those interviews that kind of really got to the gist of uh, who this person was, how they collaborate, how they deal with conflict, um, how they resolve it is just the best. That's really interesting because I always think that that it's difficult to really get to the crux of 
who a person is in the interview, uh, especially if they are whiteboard sessions. And actually, Johnny, that was your tweet. That was the tweet that went a bit crazy. Right. You said you wouldn't do well in a whiteboard interview. Yeah. So basically, the tweet basically verbatim was, uh, I've been a programmer for 20 years. Uh, I will do not, I will not do well with your whiteboard technical interview process. Does that say more about me or about your process? So basically, the way I saw it was that there's a spectrum, right? So you have folks who are new to, to, to the industry or maybe new to programming and you need, you need some, some way of gauging ability, right? I, I get that. Um, but also on the other end of that, if you have somebody who is sort of a veteran and, and have been doing this for a while and you put them through sort of a technical whiteboarding process, which is about, okay, let's, let's talk about a binary search tree and let's talk about, you know, some, some, some obscure algorithm they haven't done since maybe, you know, college or whatever, if that. Um, these kinds of like uh, interview process, these kinds of scenarios, personally, I don't do well with them because that's that's not what I've been doing for the last 20 plus years. Right. So I haven't been coming up with new algorithms or, or, or reaching for some obscure way of, of actually, you know, uh, sorting and then doing that kind of stuff in, in, in my day to day. So that 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 really basically went to the core of, of what I was hoping um, interview process would be like, which is basically design. I'm hoping that at some point they will be designed to allow somebody to to show what they're good at, right? Not necessarily. Currently, interview processes are designed to basically to allow a company to evaluate candidates as quickly as possible. It's kind of like a, a conveyor belt, right? You know, like you, you ch- you're checking off a list, right? And the first thing would be, well, can they do an algorithmic sort of a design and, and, and solve the problem? Uh, as quickly as possible and with the best kind of algorithm for, for the given problem. That's, that's one way to do it. The other way is to say, okay, well, um, given that I know this person has experience, like, you know, like, like Carmen is saying, how do I find out the, so as a baseline, we know they can program, right? So how do I find out the extra stuff, the stuff that actually really matters, the day-to-day interaction, the communication skills, the, the things that you know are going to make the team better. These are the things that I wish were interviews took more into account. Allow, create a situation that allows the candidate to show you what they can do, right? And not, not you checking off like, like, a, like a list, right? So that's, that's really what I, what, I'm, what, I, what I wish was, was more prevalent in the industry. Yeah, no, I agree. And what I like to do during interviews, so I dislike the whiteboarding interviews for the same reasons that you do. They evaluate me on what am I going to be doing day to day and talk to me about that. But what I like to do is learn about what people are excited about. So tell me, walk me through a project that you've done recently that you're excited about. Explain to me why you did what you did. And like, you're going to get a better idea from them than if you scare them by putting them in front of a whiteboard. I love that. Yeah, because it, quite, it kind of uh, automatically tunes itself to that person because they get to, in their answer, they get to almost select anything that they get to talk about that they're interested in or that they've done recently. So I think that's nice because you also learn that at the same time. You learn what, what it is they're interested in. And if somebody's done a side project, I mean, I always recommend that to people like uh, get involved in open source or do a side project if you don't have anything else to really point to, because that's a really nice way to show people what you can do. And, you know, it's not about the code being perfect or anything. Usually there are other ways to kind of show how you think about things or uh, or how you're going to be in solving a particular problem. Well, exactly. I interviewed with Google last year and I'm thumbing through cracking the code interview. It's like <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of pages long. Yep. And it's not exciting. It's boring. It sucked. I had anxiety about it. And 
I don't want, so I stopped the interview process. I was like, I don't need to put myself through this. I can work anywhere else. Google is not that important to me and I will not interview them with them until they change their interview process because it's old. Mm. I don't like it. So if they would have asked me to walk them through open source contributions or personal projects, that, that would have been so much better. The best interview, I can remember uh, two of the best interviews I've actually been through. And both of them, uh, in one case, basically, they had asked me to sort of come on site. And I was basically living in the same town. So I, they had asked me to come on site and come walk them through um, some of the projects I had built. Right. So I, I picked a couple of uh, recent projects that, that I was particularly proud of. And actually went down, basically went on a projector, um, walked through some slides of what I actually built. And throughout the process, I encouraged questions. We we're having a back and forth. It was like actually having like an actual engineering discussion, right? Basically around sort of the trade-offs. So why did I make decision X and, and what did I anticipate would be, you know, the result and what kind of problem was I solving? They didn't have to even know too much about the domain in which I was working, but basically I tailored it to actually be able to actually have a conversation and communicate, right? Because this is exactly what you're going to be doing on the job. You're going to be communicating ideas, you know, getting feedback and adjusting, mm-hmm. right? So th- th- that was one of the best interview- interviews I had gone through. And the other one was basically they had provided me an actual problem to solve. And uh, um, a couple of days later, I basically, you know, basically on <laughs> my free time, uh, however little I have, I had to put together the solution uh, and basically made sure that, okay, you know, to, to sort of uh, hit on, uh, to do what I would normally do in production code, right? You know, I'd, I'd write some tests and then I'd write some, some, some load testing to it and whatnot. Um, so I, I, I basically, I did what I normally would do in production and I didn't feel particularly um, that, I, that I needed to add extra things, like, you know, things that are unnatural for me to do, things that I don't do normally. Basically, it was just like, okay, I'm going like, to, you know, I imagine I was picking this up off the board and, and starting to work on it. Right. And then basically, you know, we got, we got on a call and we went through it Then we actually even got, um, we shared a screen and, and we were actually walking through it and kind of like, kind of like you would do an actual code review, right. With a teammate. So again, those situations where you're actually doing the, the process feels like an extension of what you do at work anyway. Those are the best pro- interview process in my, in my opinion. Yeah. I like those. So Ashley, when you did the Google interview, did they let you use Google? <laughs> Oh yeah, no, 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 no. I, mean, I mean it though, because actually, sometimes I've heard of people uh, they ask to do something and they and they'll stipulate, oh, and you can't use Google. Mm. And the thing is, I like to use Google when I'm doing my job. I really sort of <laughs> need it. We all do. And I, the re- yeah, the the reason I know I need it is because on flights that don't have Wi-Fi, if I try and do work, I'm just an idiot. <laughs> so I, I did. I did get that. Uh, they didn't block me with that, but if they did, I, I would have died because I use Google for everything. I am nothing without Google. <laughs> or Stack Overflow, or even just being able to sort of look uh, at GoDocs or anything like that, right? Meaning yep, just like yep. some sort of reference because we've offloaded our memories to places that we know where they're going to be. We don't have to worry about memorizing anything. And I like right. that. And Google, you can't, but I'm sure <laughs> having just gone through the interview, interview process there myself, yeah, you can't Google and they sort of couch it with, well, just come up with the best solution that you can with what you have. <laughs> so, Which I think yeah, is a lie, by the way. <laughs> yeah. That's, I think it's a lie. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm surprised to hear that. Uh, I didn't know, uh, Ashley, that you went through the Google interview process and just decided to stop it because I didn't stop it. And of course, it, a happy ending. <laughs> I got hired. But yeah, it was not. <laughs> it yeah, it was. 
It was right around the same time as Microsoft. And I was just so stressed out about it. And I just couldn't make sense of it. Hmm. Just thinking, you're asking these questions that are not going to be relevant to my day-to-day activities. (laughs) Don't you want to know if I can do the job that you're hiring me for? Yeah. And that's why I think that interviewing is just so broken in this respect, right? Because you're asked to do some silly, like, serialize a tree or some weird algorithm, like you said, Johnny, that's so not what you have done over the last two decades, and you haven't done it since university, and you're never going to do it. And so a more pragmatic approach would be the approach of, here's a, a project, and you can do it in person, or you have 24 hours to solve it, and voila. One of the things that I, that I find to also be sort of a part of the problem is that how well you're rated may also depend on sort of the, the, the person you're interviewing with, right? So yeah. if the person you're interviewing with basically uh, sort of uh, um, understands that, okay, this person has, hasn't sort of uh, done this kind of work or this kind of problem solving uh, that in that particular way for a number of years. I'm going to be looking for different markers, right? Or, or I'm, the way they approach the problem with you is going to be slightly different. Um, you never, you, can, you kind of never know what you're going to get, right? So depending on who you get, uh, and that's actually performing the interview, they, they know nothing about you. They have no, no idea what you've been doing or what you basically, you're just another candidate, right? And their queue that they need to get through and the way they sort of rate you may be completely subjective, right? So it's, it's, it's how they feel today. Like if, like I never try to have these kinds of interview questions right before lunch, because if the person's hungry, <laughs> it's been proven yeah. that like, like, so even <laughs> with like, you know, judicial like cases, cases it's been proven that if, if somebody, if a judge is hungry and they have to rule a case before lunch, it's been proven that their their judgment was harsher than after yeah. lunch, right? <laughs> so, like statistically like, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a uh, human element to this. There's a human element to this. Like you're kind of leaving up to, I, I don't know. I, it's just, I mean, like Ashley, I was like, okay, um, this process is, is that, maybe that's just not for me. I basically mm. said, you know, okay, I'm, I'm willing to walk away from these things, you know, if that's the way they're going to be from now. It's just, I don't, I don't see... They're not going to get the best out of me. Personally, they're not going to get the best out of me with these kinds yeah. of uh, um, processes. I think that what we are missing, though, is that human element. We're too far focused on the technical capabilities. And we seem to be missing, like, are you a person that we can even work with? That's the most important part. Like, there yeah. are brilliant jerks out there. I don't want to work with a brilliant jerk. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I think the other thing is, is that if you're working mostly with a team, whether that team or maybe a larger cross-functional team, it would behoove the people that you would actually work with to be doing the interviewing. And so at large companies like Google and even Microsoft, to, as Johnny said, just another interview in the queue for a hiring committee that will never probably see you again. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, I can see how this happens when someone's given a task or a a team or a company are trying to find a process to put people through. I can kind of see how it happens, but I agree that it's a mistake uh, because, yeah, the most important things are difficult. Usually you have to kind of tune it, don't you, for each person. If you're going for a, a job and you're the one being interviewed, you tune it to what the company's looking for, what you think the company's looking for. You kind of tune yourself a little bit, or at least you highlight things that you want to emphasize. So you, the reason we do that really is because it's a pairing and it's, uh, it's unique. So whenever you try and create a general process, I think that's the problem. The general process, it might work even in a high percentage of cases, but you're still going to miss 
key people that, that would be assets to the team. No, you're absolutely right. We are all different. We all have different specialties. We all have like, we're all experts in different areas. And so I do this with my team when I'm interviewing and when I'm doing metrics, even because developer advocacy is weird, it's hard to measure. Uh, we do not have global metrics. I don't believe in them. There's not one process that works for everyone. So everyone has tailored metrics. And I think the same thing about interviews. We should all have tailored interviews. The person that's interviewing me should have done some Googling about me. I know I Googled them. Mutual respect here. This episode is brought to you by Strong DM. Strong DM makes it easy for DevOps to enforce the controls InfoSec teams require, manage access to any database, server, and any environment. And in this segment, we're talking to Jim Mordko, VP of Engineering at Hearst. He's sharing how they're using Strong DM within their team of 90 plus engineers. It now takes them just 60 seconds to offboard a team member from a data source. We have an engineering team of somewhere in the area of 80 or 90 engineers. Because we've got so many services and many databases um, and so many developers, we need a reasonable way to manage access to them. Uh, it was it was a somewhat painful and you know labor intensive process. Uh, our DevOps team uh, would literally have to manage every one of the permissions for everybody who wanted access. Um, so Strong DM has been a real godsend in that area for us. Requests for access to specific databases were pretty much manual. Now we've adopted Strong DM. It's something that you don't even know is there. Once it's installed, it just works. It's very simple. Um, we've set up a multitude of data sources so that when somebody's onboarded, we just give them access to Strong DM. It's pretty simple. Um, our DevOps team, um, they have a very minimal effort required to enable each data source to be connected to Strong DM, and then installing the client software is uh, it's very, very very simple and straightforward. You can use whatever client you want to to talk to the database. So there's really no training necessary. All right, if your team can benefit from nearly instant onboarding and offboarding that's fully SOC 2 compliant, head to strongdm.com to learn more and request a free demo. Again, strongdm.com. Before I joined tech, I was an admissions assistant director of admissions at a university, and I had to do interviews for college students to get into college. And, you know, so I, in, in terms of being an interviewer, I did four interviews every afternoon for nine months straight for four years. So I know a thing or two about how interviews should be maximized when you have only so much time and so many applicants. And I think it's exactly what you said, Ashley, which is you have to do a little bit of homework on the person. And you also have to be willing to uh, adjust the conversation and the questions based on both who the person is and how the conversation is going. I think that really maximizes um, your time with that person and being very sure whether or not you're hiring for the right person. I wanted to mention here, Axel Wagner, hi. Um, we were kind of putting down a, a Google's process and he mentioned in the chat and go for Slack that to do anything at Google, you do need to know internal services and the big ones like Stubby, Borg, Critique, Blaze, Google 3, and all the off stuff, including Big Table Spanner. So I get that, that you need to not have is what Google calls false positives so that they can make sure that they're not overwhelmed in trying to use these big scale systems. 
it's just, I feel like I just wish that, that, that it was better. I don't know what the perfect thing is, but you know, if there's time, I mean, certainly I, I feel like I did really well because I got some really good advice. So if, if white table or sorry, whiteboard interviews have to happen, I got some amazing advice on how to, to sort of run with them and how to prepare for them after you, of course, read that big, boring book, Ashley. What was it? Well, the one cool thing that I was given was you have to put yourself in the position of the people who've agreed to be on the hiring committee, a.k.a. the interviewers. So they have to ask you a technical question. And typically, it's the only technical question that they'll ask for every single interviewee. And the thing is, is that when you prepare a technical question, you also have to be prepared to know all of the nuances going up through the different levels. So yes, you, you made it um, run, but now how do you make it perf- uh, more performant, right? Or what do you do when the data set has changed? So you have to be able to sort of, if the person figures out the algorithm or the data structure very quickly, you have to be willing to level set them in, in increasingly uh, more um, higher levels. And so the question that you prepare as an interviewer has to be ready for that kind of thing. And as a result, the questions that you ask <laughs> seem very, very m- misaligned with what you do in every day, because it's the only question. It's like your, it's your wheelhouse. It's your wheelhouse question that you ask as an interview. And that was really a good perspective to put myself in the shoes of the interviewer. That was the first good point. The second good point is that most interviewers will intentionally leave out information in the problem statement. Because as Johnny said, sometimes what they want to hear is more questions, asking for clarifying questions. They want a dialogue. They want communication. They want to see how well you're able to articulate missing information or handle ambiguity in the problem statement. So they intentionally leave out information. And so, I mean, I got like a five sentence or five letter sentence, five word sentence in one of my Google interviews. And I, because I got that advice, I said, okay, you're leaving out all this stuff. And so half of the problem is sort of being able to fill in the gaps or asking those good questions. So those were two really, really good points. I think the third good point is that they're intentionally made so that you can never finish in your 45 minutes of your technical screen. And you have five of those for SWEs and SREs and certain parts of DevRel engineering. But the third thing was that you'll never, you're always meant to sort of feel like you never really finished. And that's intentional because no one's ever going to get up to like a level 10 or distinguished engineer. They're always going to be increasing levels of challenge. And then the fourth, of course, I think Johnny already picked up to that, which is be very aware of your hunger and your fatigue and let the interviewer know that. Again, that's more communication. And and that might be towards the higher community saying, hey, this person probably would have done better, but it was before lunch or it was the last interview of the day, etc. Oh, and then a bonus one, don't let what seemingly feels like a bad interview, if especially in the first interview of the day, like let it throw you off for the rest of the day. I think because I had been given that really good sage advice by someone at Google, I I was able to get through the interviews better. And I was also sort of being able to put myself in the shoes of the interviewers and understand, okay, I'm never going to use this, but that's the wheelhouse of the question that they want to ask. And so I'm just going to go for it. Brilliant. You know, something else that occurs to me is that, you know, we, we want diversity in our teams. I feel like most people, particularly the Go community, but I feel like most people see the value in having diverse teams. So it kind of stands that the interview process probably needs to be diverse too. Like having a single process for all the people, you're just going to select for whatever that process finds rather than 
That's that's exactly yes. Because <laughs> I, I I absolutely like believe I'm 100 on board with that with that idea. the The process that you have just the uh, um the idea that you have one process and it's gonna sort of uh, yield the, the highest number of of uh, suitable candidates um, is a fallacy, right? So no no one process. Um, by definition, the process can exclude a lot of people who it could be, which could be uh, um, good candidates, right? And and I think everybody sort of understands that. Google and other large companies understand that they're basically aiming for for a high uh, a percentage, a high enough percentage that the good ones that they, they they don't get, right, doesn't end up hurting, right? I mean, let's 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 be clear here. You know, Google hasn't, you know, didn't become Google by hiring, you know, bad engineers. I mean, they have they have a lot of excellent engineers who work for them and and more power to them that's 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 great what i think what we're what at least what i'm saying is that sometimes that process if it had been tweaked or if there were alternatives to that process right it could have actually picked up even more right um, great engineers right if basically th there was there was a way of basically saying you know what this person is that type of person they are not uh, they are not great test takers so to speak right or this per this process is for that person they are more uh, um, um, they can they can pair program heck a lot more they, than they can uh, um, do whiteboarding or this person given the role they are going to be in front of people a lot and 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 this is a more suitable uh, interview process you're still um gauging right the ability to engineer software at the end of the day you still you know especially if you're in a role in, like actually is like in, in, in developer relations for example you want other engineers to trust you as an engineer right i mean that's that's mm -hmm. there's no question about that right and that's that's a given okay but there are different ways of actually uh, um being able to gauge that right then a whiteboard interview process having a one-size-fits-all to me is where that's what bothers me the most i agree with johnny though i feel like interviews should be a pick your own adventure how can you best do this do you like whiteboard interviews do whiteboard interviews do you want to do a take-home test do a take-home there should be more than one option Mm. That's a good idea. I love that. So it's, they ask you, can you sort the tree? And you say, I'll go to page 25 instead. And exactly. Right. And talk about a current project if you want to go see the repo on some code repository. Yeah. <laughs> so. Exactly. And like, and who even created this general process? Was it just a bunch of white dudes in a room or was it a diverse panel? <laughs> Good point. <laughs> I'm not even sure about that. Because, you know, I do like I did want to talk a little bit about what you're touching on, Ashley, which is bias. Right. So we're biased towards a certain um, way of thinking and a modality of problem solving when there's many ways that one can arrive to a solution. Right. And especially in real life scenarios, like Johnny said, I mean, we're going to be to try to come to a solution, we have to be looking up a ton of documentation or spending um, a lot of time just Googling the problem, like Matt said. And so different people have different processes. And so is, is there a way that we can judge or uh, evaluate the propriety of the candidate based on those? So I think that that's great. The choose your, your own adventure is a really, really good idea. And the only, I think, counter that someone might say is, okay, well, then you're comparing apples to oranges and so on but then so everyone is so unique so yeah mm. it, it definitely shouldn't be a one-size-fits-all i asked somebody once in an interview some question and they said i don't know and you should like the look on their face was like heartbreak and i said well how would you find out and they said i'll oh, probably just have to google it right genuinely that was the interaction they we then offered them the position and they said i was completely surprised because i didn't know that thing 
Uh, but the fact that you first of all know that you don't know it, but that you can admit that you don't know it, and that you then just said, yeah, probably just Google it to find out. That's sort of perfect. Well, right around the same time that Johnny tweeted his tweet, I tweeted a meme, and it was it was something like, um, this kid in my math class was asked a question, and he sat there for a moment, and he said, wait a second, I'm not dumb, I'm just panicking. And I was like, this is me in technical interviews. <laughs> I'm not dumb, I'm just panicking. Oh, and that so helps us see the human in that person, right? And how do they deal with stress, right? And sometimes just saying something like that to sort of kind of lighten the, lighten the load or of the stress or the pressure, it also teaches you a lot about a person, right? Or just, can I take a second to step back and take a break? Or I need to take a deep breath. I think I said that to the last interview of, my, of the day for Google because my brain was just fried at that point. I had already done four coding interviews and yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I think that it's just getting to the more human side of things. It'd be great. I also think, I also wonder a little bit, Matt, about the I don't know. That is such a powerful thing to say. And yet sometimes I feel like women get dinged more for it. And I'm really very hesitant to say I don't know without Mm. caveating it somehow. And so it's not something that, I, I know that I've spoken with other people about that. And underrepresented minorities also kind of can have a problem with saying I don't know so I don't know sometimes t- seems to be the pri- the privilege of, of white dudes no you're you're absolutely right Carmen uh <laughs> it's it's it, no it's the same thing when you're on stage speaking right um if a woman or a person of color gets on stage the audience whether they're intentional or not it's usually unconscious they're already wondering are they mm-hmm. technical do they mm-hmm. know what they're talking about mm-hmm. right so you're already challenged and you have to prove that you know. And so in these interviews as well, like when you say, I don't know, they don't think she doesn't know this one thing. They're thinking she doesn't know anything. Yeah, I have a story about this. So I was interviewing for a software engineering and infrastructure engineering position. And one of the candidates was a woman. And um, in the debrief, we had sort of done a pool of a second or a third round. And in the debrief, I fell prey to this very same bias because I said, you know, this person just seemed very, um, they weren't so sure of themselves. And um, I didn't even say that. I just said, I don't know. They didn't know if they could do the work. And it was a colleague of mine that said, he said, you know what? They're just being humble. Right. And so that also talks about personalities and cultures. And there are personalities that if, well, first of all, if they don't check every box, they don't apply for the position so that we can even talk about that. So like how the pipeline even just sort of it prohibits people to even um, feel like they can apply in the first place. But once and if you do, I've often felt that the humbler personalities um, were the ones that, you know, weren't really sort of trying to like prove that they knew or were doing it in a more humble way. And that also got done in terms of interview um, feedback when we would do the debrief. And I really, really appreciate it. And I told him so, and I still do to this day, it just opened my eyes to when someone isn't um, sort of pushing themselves and saying that they're like the greatest thing since sliced bread. Do they say that in England, Matt, by the way, the greatest thing since sliced bread? we We were the first to slice it. (laughs) <laughs> oh, is that right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, so humility, I like that in an interview. And sometimes depending on the culture of the workplace that you might get dinged for that. So that honestly never occurred to me, this will surprise you, that saying I don't know to something is a kind of privileged thing to be able to say. And this is why I like like Johnny's talk at Gotham Go. And this is why I like talking about diversity, because 
I learn so much all the time. And the thing is, because, you know, my direct experiences are different to other people's, it's hard sometimes to really know what it's, I mean, I don't know what it's like. So that's why I like talking. So thank you very much for pointing that one out, because I genuinely never thought about that before. I'm actually glad this this came up because, you know, I can I can definitely um, sort of second the, the sort of the motion that as a minority, as as a woman or a person of color or, or really within a minority within any setting, you you don't get to say, I don't know without repercussions. Right. Um, um, I, I always feel tremendous amount of pressure to sound and be technical. Like I, I very recently. Right. The, one of the reasons I was struggling with my keynote, for example, was that even though I know keynotes are, are sort of a um, they don't have to be technical in nature. They're designed to be more of a sort of a, a rally the troops, so to speak. Right. To get everybody to, like to, to sort of connect and enjoy like the whole event. Right. So I knew that. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I'm about, I'm about to talk about something that is, you know, uh, I'm not showing code in the screen. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not displaying, right? I'm not being a peacock, right? Like displaying all my feathers, <laughs> right? And then showing how technical I am, you know, because I know that as, as, you know, looking, looking like I do, you know, being a black man, there, there, I always feel the need to show that, right? In order to feel like I'm being accepted, right? Like this is something that I've been struggling with and something over time, hopefully uh, I've gotten more comfortable with. I don't, I don't feel the need to impress people anymore, but it, it still comes up in the back of my mind. I'm about to give a talk. Oh my God! If it's not technical enough, then are people going to think that I'm that I'm not, you know, uh, as technical, you know, uh, you know, as as I'm purporting to be, right? And it's the same thing for for the interview process. I don't get to, in my mind, I don't get to say I don't know, right? I have to know the answer or be able to talk about it to to the point where I feel like I've, I've convinced the other person that, given access to actual tools, you know, that I use to actually do the work. I would be able to find the answer. That, that's I, I totally agree with that. Wow, mm-hmm. uh, Carmen, you earlier mentioned pressure. You mentioned like feeling pressure and and was also trying to trying to sort of make people feel easy in interviews and things. Do you think that sometimes these technical things are designed to test people under pressure, to put them under pressure and see what they do? And how do we feel about that? Yeah, unfortunately, yes, I do. I think that that. I'm not, I haven't yet been asked to be part of hiring as is my responsibilities at Google, but if I stay long enough, I'm sure I will. But um, Hexel, you're just saying some really good stuff in the chat, including like what happens when we want for hiring scenarios, people who actually have anxiety disorders, right? And how this process will exclude those kinds of people, right? And it excludes a lot of people who shouldn't be excluded. And so the whiteboarding interviews, I feel, again, like when Ashley says, choose your own adventure, I feel like they should have some, some sort of thing that gives you the, way, the ability to opt out. I mean, I know that for my son who has a disability, he has a 509 plan that gives him the ability to opt out. And so, so too we should for interviews. And, you know, if there's just a way that we can assess again, I don't know the answer to that. But yeah, pressure to perform. I mean, I don't, have an anxiety disorder, but I know many in the industry that do. And I just really feel for them. I'd love to hear their thoughts either on Twitter or if they're willing to share with me on a DM, like how they cope or if they even cope with something like that. Yeah. So this is the reason that I pulled out of the interview process. So I don't necessarily have an anxiety disorder, but in a whiteboarding situation, I have anxiety. First of all, my back is to people. Are there, is it men? Are they looking at my butt? Who can say? You know, like there's a certain amount of anxiety (laughs) there, but I also think it's an abuse of power and I don't, I don't like it. I don't want to work for a company whose goal is to stress me out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
That raises a good point, which is that you were also interviewing the company. Yeah. Right. When yes. when you go even even junior devs with their first position, the first ever interview, you are still interviewing that company. And if you can, and again, this is potentially a privileged issue uh, or a circumstantial issue at, at least. If you can be selective, then you absolutely should because working for the wrong company does more damage than you probably would like to admit. Right. And I guess if my first impression of a company, the very first time I talk to that company, if they are trying to stress me out, then what does the rest of my (laughs) tenure look like? They have no problem stressing me out on first impressions. So what's going to happen when a project deadline comes up? Are they going to expect me to work crazy hours to finish it? Like, what are they about? Yeah. yeah, great question to ask yourself. But that probably applies to anything in the interview process, because that interview process is a representation of the company. So companies that are think that are people that are doing interviews and trying to hire people, you have to realize that your interview process is a kind of a user experience of your company. Mm-hmm. And you, you have to bear that in mind. I think so. That might be more true at larger companies than it is at smaller ones. I think at, in, at smaller companies, you get a closer sort of a representation of what working with uh, on these people that are interviewing uh, that are interviewing you m- might be like than you do at large companies. The large companies is the is the whole checkbox right conveyor belt process to even get basically to to to, to even get through. It's like um, there's a guardian at the gate, right? You have to get through that <laughs> gauntlet first before you can you know before you then see the real culture of any particular team or, or department right, within a, within a lar- or large organization, which is why I'm like, why create this wall, right? Like, I, I'm not quite getting it. I'm sure there are, there are reasons for it, but why create this wall, this artificial wall, right? Which is, which is nothing like the real work. Why create this artificial wall to block, um, you know, perhaps valid candidates from getting through? I, I don't I don't quite get that. Yeah, I think when I ask that same question, especially for some of the problems that people have voiced about bigger companies with this broken whiteboard interview process was that they wanted to make sure that they and I don't know if I buy it, but that they leveled correctly and that they were able to get enough people to agree on the initial level, because that's, of course, where the base offer comes and for your compensation and whatnot. And that's just for big companies. Right. And so I'm not sure if I buy it, but um, the person made a very strong case for that. And so I don't know. I mean, I'm still new to Google, but we'll see. Mm. Yeah, no, honestly, that that makes me wonder, do they make the process so hard so that they can kind of under level you and underpay you? Say you didn't perform well in this crazy interview. Therefore, we're going to give you, you know, thousands of dollars less because of it. And what does that mean when we already have heard about um, compensation dissonance between underrepresented minorities and and non in terms of that? Like from the get-go, we already know that many women and underrepresented minorities are paid well under. And is it because of a function of how they performed in these interviews? I just don't know, but yeah. That is really scary. I really, it's disheartening to hear about things like that. But it's, you know, I think all we can do is keep talking about it and stand up to it whenever we see it.
This episode is brought to you by our friends at Rollbar. Move fast and fix things like we do here at Changelog. Check them out at rollbar.com slash changelog. Resolve your errors in minutes and deploy with confidence. Catch your errors in your software before your users do. And if you're not using Rollbar yet or you haven't tried it yet, they want to give you $100 to donate to open source via Open Collective. And all you got to do is go to rollbar.com slash changelog, sign up, integrate Rollbar into your app. And once you do that, they'll give you $100 to donate to open source. Once again, rollbar.com slash changelog. One of the interesting things I've done in the past when interviewing people was we gave, there were about 10 candidates and I think we wanted five and we gave everybody a month-long contract. So they just joined the team for a month. Everyone was kind of in a situation that allowed them to do this. Hmm. We paid them a month, and there was a particular kind of work that we needed doing that suited that as well, so it was kind of cool. But really, the valuable thing was, you know, having people on the team, interacting with them, that, you know, we'd have a daily update call, and everyone was working remotely. It's a remote company anyway, so... That worked really well because sometimes like people would, a, a couple of people said, okay, I can just tell this is not for me. You know, working remotely is harder for some junior people, I think sometimes maybe. <laughs> and so they didn't like it. They weren't comfortable for that reason. Well, that's kind of great. And I don't know how you'd have found that out in an interview process because they were all over doing it remotely. I love that. I love that so much. That's the smartest thing you've ever done, in my opinion. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Hang on. Have you, have you guys, have, have you heard about BitBar? No, I don't think I have. I was no. just kidding. I also nearly said, I nearly said guys then. That's a pet. That's a, a New Year's <laughs> resolution of mine that I'm working on. Uh, <laughs> avoiding that. Say y'all, because I think it would be funny with your accent. Well, I'll do it in Adam's accent. <laughs> hey, we're sponsored by Fashley, y'all. Wow. <laughs> Not bad. Really good. Impressive. Not bad. He does Francesque, too. Can you do Francesque? Sorry, Francesque. Not, not publicly, I can't. No, not publicly. Uh, did he forbid you? Okay, next time. He, he says he doesn't want me to do it because he because he feels bad for me because of how bad it is. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, in the contract... In that contracting thing, it was obvious who was going to be on the team or not because it was just it just worked. So I don't really know if I had to encode that into some process. I don't know that I could. But the other thing that worked is somebody said, uh, I don't feel like that's very respectful uh, idea. And, you know, I'm, I need something more permanent, more stable. And I've done these projects, I've done these open source projects, and I think that should be enough. You know, they sort of just stood up to the idea. They were just immediately hired for being awesome. Hmm. <laughs> so yeah, but it's tough. It's a risk. And how much of a risk do you think people should take in interviews? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess it's true. Not everyone can take that month to work for his life. It doesn't work out that they do then, right? But I do like the idea of it. Yeah. Yeah. It should probably be one of the options, right? The the whole choose adventure, your own adventure model um, that Ashley was talking about. So for some people, right, it might not be um, practical, right? So if you are, if you're, um, if you've got a, a family and you have responsibilities and, and maybe you're, you're looking for work right now, it, it's probably, and you have some sort of, some sense of urgency, right? Because you have people who depend on you and maybe you need health insurance, you know, you don't want to let that lapse. Um, okay. Because if you've ever, if you've ever been on, on Cobra, it costs you an arm and a leg. So there are a lot of sort of, uh, at least here in the States. So there are a lot of sort of circumstances 
like that may prevent somebody from doing the contract option. And, and you know, in some cases, it, it's suitable for them. Maybe they're they're young, they have no responsibilities, um, they can afford to go, you know, a couple of weeks without without you know all the benefits and extras and whatnot that come with the contract. Sort of a way of doing things, and and that's fine too. But I think in all these options we've been talking about, one one thing that that is I definitely don't want to sort of wave over is that having that many options, right? If you're one organization that that is small and you have and you're trying to create sort of a, this utopian <laughs> interview process that we've been talking about here, that that's probably an expensive proposition, right? You you probably can't afford to have like lots of different ways to interview people and give them options for which one might work best. Or well, well, maybe you do. I don't I don't know what that looks like in terms of, you know, resources and, and people and money. And, and I don't know, but, you know, we'd have to sort of you really get some feedback from companies out there, right? How, how are they, do they have a choose your own adventure kind of style energy process and how well it's working for them? Um, so hit us up on, on, on the Twitters if you can. Um, but yeah, it, this comes at a cost, right? You know, some process, some parts of the process will, will take longer than others. And, and this is something that we must also understand. So maybe there are other business reasons, right? Why, you know, a process is favored over another. But basically just acknowledging that it is not as easy as we make it sound. If it was, you know, I'm sure more companies would be doing it. Yeah, yeah but it's so important, isn't it? I mean, isn't it the most important thing about a team is the people? Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure there are challenges, but I feel like it's too important to not address it. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of giving people a choice and whether that's even like you could do the interview on Slack if you're not comfortable in person and, and things like that, potentially. Yeah. Uh, I quite like to see some experiments done on this. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and just as I was saying earlier, like who came up with this general process? Was it a group of white men? Who can say, I can tell you this, it wasn't diverse enough. Hmm. So whoever's coming up with these processes, we need a representative hmm. from each place in there to come up with this process. But really, it comes down to there's no one process that will work for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so for me, the only option is choose your own adventure. And it can get out of hand. Like we can't have too many choices out there, right? But right. At, at the end of the day, it, it is about the people and we want good people to work for us. And so they yep. should be comfortable and at ease in these interviews. Yeah. Actually, you made a joke earlier about me and Mark not having interviewed for a long time, which is true. But yeah, but then Corey said that you guys interview companies a lot, which is the same. (laughs) Yeah. So you you're interviewing the company. That was, I think, his joke. But that's very true. We talked a bit about that. Oh, I forgot what I was going to say. That happens sometimes, doesn't it? Oh. Yeah, well, you're old. <laughs> Zing. <laughs> when did that happen? Oh, you didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the, what, the other thing that I was kind of thinking about in terms of an addition to choose your own adventure is I would really like to make a primer about bias to anyone who would be an interviewer, right? Bias and little things like what we talked about, like, um, you know, how some underrepresented minorities or maybe people that have different personalities or maybe different cultures and what that might represent. Because we as interviewers, like Johnny said at the very beginning, is it could just be very random that you might get someone who, it, you know, depending on who you get, might be lucky or unlucky for you. Because interviewers themselves bring all their own biases and their own perspectives and things. And so trying to maybe eradicate that as much as possible with awareness and like a primer would be great. Because I, I have yet to be at any place, even when I was doing university student interviews for anything like that. And I think that I had just kind of gained this through experience, but having a primer would have leveled me up significantly. And I would love to have that as the 
industry standard for anyone wanting both companies and individuals who interview. Brilliant idea. Well, having a primer, having a primer, and then also during the feedback session. So I've been parts of many feedback sessions. It's normally you give your feedback and they take your feedback into account. It would be great to have a discussion about this feedback. Why did you come to certain conclusions? Yeah. So, you know, challenge, challenge that feedback because maybe there was a bias that you can challenge. Yeah, that's great. I had a job interview once and it was a JavaScript job. And I, when I turned up, they had a technical exam, but it was just a Java one. So I said, oh, um, this is the wrong test i'm here for the javascript role and he, and uh, he just said oh yeah just just uh, just do it anyway we'll bear that in mind mm. and i didn't I, w- I walked out because that just seems like that you, you care so little and you i could tell that this bloke was just busy and overworked so he just didn't have time you know like the interview snuck up on him and he's just like oh here's an exam to do just because it, it wasn't a, an exam that was relevant at all to the job that didn't seem to phase him but that lack of care was just a red flag. And, you know, I'm lucky enough to be able to have just walked out. Has anyone else ever had any uh, interview nightmares? I mean, I already went through mine, but I want to say good for you for walking out because if they don't care enough, then you shouldn't either. Yeah. 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 And I would say that for junior Debs too. Like, if, if you can, you know, that, that early experience is vital and, and it will reveal what it would be like working at that company. It's standard high. And I wish, I want junior engineers to feel that very much what has been said before, which is it is a two-way street or a two-way interview. So they're interviewing you and you're interviewing them. And to sort of stand tall and in their own self-worth and know if this is not feeling good, then absolutely walk away. Because too often they're sort of like, and and I get that maybe you do need a paycheck and you really need this job. but. if you're just going through so much stress to get it, I just, it's probably not going to be a good work experience for you. Yeah. So. Antti on Slack just said that he had the exact same experience where they gave, the, or his friend had the exact experience where they gave him the wrong test or test for a different oh, language, wow. but they just aced it. That's like, <laughs> that's like what I wish. <laughs> Hire that person right now. Yeah, yeah, totally. Totally. I had a yeah. nightmare thing as an interviewer where this person just somehow got through our, sc- our early screenings um, in, in the process. So we had like a, f- a phase one, please answer these questions. And so they talked a good game. But when we got to the um, interview process, it was for a sweet position. And it was me and three other women who interviewed him. And he just kept interrupting. And he, uh, he just, it was one of those where it quickly became apparent that he didn't really know but it was like the Dunning-Kruger effect where he didn't know how much he didn't know. And it was just so painful to get through this. And then on top of that, he, I can't even remember what it was, but it was kind of a veiled insult to uh, the a coworker and an, that, an interviewer. And then the third one that um, after he was done with that, he actually mansplained me. I mean, I was just like, wait a second here. <laughs> um, needless to say, we were like, don't call us, you know? And, and we basically said at the end of the interview, yeah, I don't think you're going to be a good fit. And I, and I remember saying it and feeling like I could say it. And then we got off and my two colleagues were like, thank you for just doing that and just letting him know. <laughs> but yeah, that was kind of, I know everyone has horror stories about like being on the interviewee side, but I don't think 
many have the interviewer side, it was bad. <laughs> yeah. So what about humor then? Because I do try and uh, have some humor in it. And I find that as quite a nice way to sort of find out a little bit about somebody. You know, if they obviously the context is very important. So, you know, this is a very serious thing. It's a job interview. So it's not to be silly or flippant. But if they crack a joke or if I crack a joke and at least they acknowledge that it's a joke, that's all I ever really want. I just want people to go, okay, acknowledged that was a joke. Next. That's my dream. Then it tells you something. But what do you think about that? Is that is that inappropriate? I don't know, Matt. You know me. I like humor. I will. Yeah. I'm too old to care anymore. And if you're not <laughs> going to laugh at my jokes now, you're not going to laugh at my jokes later. And we're going to have a problem because I need you to laugh at my jokes. <laughs> humor is is very um so i have a i have a husband from a completely different culture than my own and a lot of the things that i think are funny or witty or sarcastic he doesn't or it goes over his head and vice versa so the west african humor i just sometimes don't get so sometimes we just have to check our bias when we deliver a joke um and this is just in the context of a personal 20-year marriage right so yeah i mean i think it's just really if they don't get it, then I would say in the feedback session, as Ashley said, just say, well, what do you think about that? And maybe, you know, just making sure that humor is, it's brilliant, but it also is subtle. And it mm-hmm. um, shows, shows a lot about who we are and what we value. So it's great in terms of like, I can be, uh, have good rapport with this teammate. But mm-hmm. I don't know if there's another, another way to sort of seek or, or find out rapport. I just know I have a, <laughs> I worked with a lot of German colleagues. And I'm not in any way stereotyping Germans. I'm just saying that um, I finally had a moment with a German colleague and said, I don't do sar- sarcasm and I don't appreciate sarcasm and nor do they appreciate the American tendency to call everything awesome and super cool and whatever, because <laughs> for them it's just fine, which is, you know, again, like feedback and intercultural sort of in- relation relating, which can come out in interviews as well. So. I tend to uh, to use uh, humor more as an interviewer uh, than in, in an interviewee. Um, yeah, I've had I've I've been in, in positions where the interviewee is so nervous, right? And 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 I feel for them. Like ah, oh, like I I've been where you are now. I understand what you're going through. So so I kind of go out of my way to to make them feel comfortable. And and sometimes you know humor is is part of that. Um, but you can also, you know, you know, sort of diffuse the situation, if you will, by saying like, look, I understand you're nervous and that's OK. This is this is what I'm not doing. I'm not judging you on how nervous you are. I'm not judging you on how you know, whether you're stuttering or not when you explain. I understand this is it's just these are things are just nerves. OK, like and, and that you can see how immediately their face just relaxes and they know what it is. They know what the things are that are not going to disqualify them as candidates. Right. So they can relax mm-hmm. a little bit. Right. So now it becomes more of a you know, look, let's you and I go through this together. Right. I'm, it's not you versus me. Right. It, it's us trying to get through this process as, as, as you know, as well as we can. So that I, the interviewer, can get a sense, right, of, of, of what you're comfortable with and what you're not comfortable with. And, and, and look, if there are some things that you don't know or are not comfortable with, you can tell me you don't know. That way I know exactly whether, you, you know, in, in what capacity you'll be a good fit. What, what are the things that you don't know now that you can learn later? And, and, and what are the things that are, that are going to be a, a blocker, right? But it's, again, making it feel like you're having a conversation with an acquaintance and not like an, 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 an adversary, right? So, oh, oh, yeah, did my accent just come out just now? I think it might have been, 
Not than just that, but like an adversary, right? <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's 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 basically using humor and again, sort of try, I mean, really empathy, like putting yourself in their yeah. shoes and saying, okay, well, what would I tell myself right now if I really need to come down because I'm just like really, really in a panic mode right now? Yeah. Well, yeah, treat them like a human instead of a resume and a stack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> here, here. Yeah. Yep. Well, jo- Johnny, that's awesome that you do that. I think people should take that on board anyone that is doing an interview i think it's worth saying something like that to just say look this is just normal kind of nerves or whatever and yeah don't worry about it you know i think that that, but you want them to be at ease don't you that's why i don't quite understand this idea of where where the interview is to put people under pressure to see how well they perform under pressure yeah why why would we want that right we want to see how they work with us Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that's why my conspiracy theory brain, though, is like, do they want to stress us out so that they can underlevel us? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think this has been very enlightening. I've learned a lot. Uh, and I mean that. I mean, I know that a lot of what I say sounds sarcastic when I just mean it, which is weird. But yeah, particularly like the, the diversity side of things, I genuinely hadn't realized really that a lot of this plays into that. And I think. Ashley, your choose your own adventure idea, choose your own adventure where you maybe can offer some options to people that you're interviewing and see how they would like to be interviewed, how they would like to engage. I think that is a great idea because as we've said, no, no two people are alike. Everyone's unique and we want that diversity. So the, there should be that diversity in the interview process. Yep. Yep. I really learned a lot too. And I really, I don't know how we can, God, I'm going to say this word operationalize, productionize, (laughs) but I don't know how we could put that into practice, basically. Um, Some sort of choose your own adventure or really rethinking um, interviews that kind of put this person front and center, not the process. Mm -hmm. Right. I like your primer. Yeah, the primer. I like your primer idea, Carmen. Yeah. I I mean... I think that could be an open source thing that we do as a community and we just have a kind of interview primer kind of dot org something. It's a good idea. Mm. Yeah, that, that mm. would be cool. I guess it comes down to, you know, these larger companies, because it's mostly at larger companies listening to minority voices. We say this often. I'm not the only one that said choose your own adventure. I'm positive. So listen to the people that are out there to make your processes better. Right. Well, I think time has beaten us again. It always does. It just moves forward at constant rate. Well, it's relative, but... Hmm. Always time flies when having fun. Or interviewing. <laughs> go, go time flies when we're having fun. Ooh, How about that for a pun? Good. Go time flies. Go time flies when we're having fun. Okay. Well, I think that's the show. I had so much fun with all of you. And I really enjoyed the conversation and I learned so much every time I talk to all of you. Well, well, before we start to uh, start joking and whatnot, uh, I am going to close us off. So um, you have to give me two seconds to collect myself. All right, here we go. Well, there you have it, folks. The opinions of a few industry veterans on how the interview process ought to be. There's no perfect process and any process you adopt will favor the strengths of some over others. If you're listening to this and can influence the hiring and interviewing at your company, we hope you've picked up a few tidbits here that can improve things for both your organization and the candidates you are lucky to come across. It's been a pleasure chatting with this panel. I'm glad we were able to have Cam, Carmen and Ashley on with us today. 
Uh, and we appreciate you, the listener, for spending some of your time with us. Thank you for listening to Go Time. All right, Go Time is back. It's been so much work behind the scenes, but it's definitely paying off now. And it's so much fun producing this show. We have so many people listening live. Thank you so much for that. We love you. And if you're not yet, hang with us in Go for Slack. We have a channel called Go Time FM. Look it up. You'll find us. Chat with the community, share stories, share coffee recipes, whatever. It's a lot of fun. Also, we have discussions on every single episode at changelaw.com. So head to changelaw.com slash go time. Find this episode and discuss it with the community. And of course, thank you to our sponsors, DigitalOcean, StrongDM, and Rollbar. Huge thanks to Fastly for being our bandwidth partner. Head to fastly.com to learn more. And we move fast and fix things right here at ChangeLog because of Rollbar. Check them out at rollbar.com slash changelog. And we're hosted on Leno Cloud Servers at leno.com slash changelog. Our music is by the one and only Breakmaster Cylinder. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, subscribe to our master feed at changelog.com slash master or go to your podcast app and search for ChangeLog Master. You'll find it. Subscribe. Get all of our shows in one single feed as well as some extras that only hit the master feed. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Winner, winner, chicken dinner, you have won again, yes. That's why you listen all the way to the end of the shows, because we give you previews of what's coming up, and as you may have guessed, we have another preview of our upcoming show called Brain Science. This podcast is for the curious. It explores the inner workings of the human brain to understand behavior change, habit formation, mental health, and the human condition. This show is hosted by myself, Adam Stachowiak, and my good friend, Muriel Reese, a doctor in clinical psychology. It's brain science applied. Not just how does the brain work, but how do we apply what we know about the brain to better our lives? Here we go. My wife and I, we've learned this, this concept of goodwill, right? Yeah. It, I can take your feedback or your criticisms in a different light if, if I know that you have goodwill for me. Yep. Me, meaning that you're not trying to harm me, that you are for me, not against me. And sometimes change, as we all know, is painful and can be painful. So sometimes the necessary feedback and or criticism that can influence that change can also be painful. But I can accept it differently if I know... Right. That she or they or whomever is in the scenario with me has goodwill for me, you know, whereas yeah. if you know that they're not for you, then you obviously take it a whole different way. And that's that's an OK thing. But we often are, you know, in relationship with people that are giving us crucial feedback and we need to have that kind of that lens. Like it was significant in our marriage to understand, hey, I know there are times when you give me feedback. I am not happy about it, but. <laughs> But I know you have goodwill for me. So therefore I calm down. I listen. I, yeah. you know, I take that in and I process it, whatever, but I take it in a different way because I know that she's for me and not against me. Yep. One of the key things when it comes to change is a sense of openness and even relationally, like of going, I need to be able to see 
some how somebody else responds or how they're feeling as based on their perspective of what they're going through and not just my perspective of their perspective. And so this goodwill is like, I believe that we're on the same side and that you're not trying to make it harder for me. But so I can understand if I were sitting where you were sitting, had the background that you had, why you would have taken it in that way. And then I can provide an opportunity to clarify or create more connection, even when it doesn't feel good. And I I honestly think this is so much of what's missing in people's relationships. If I look at relational interactions through uh, the notion of conditioning, wherein I get a sort of hit of dopamine, feel good feelings, because I went to a person, I had a conversation that didn't necessarily feel good, but there was openness on both parties to hear one another's perspective, that it actually then reinforces like, oh, when I go and I have this exchange with people, I feel better. So now I'm going to go and engage with other people and get the feedback, even if I might not like the feedback, because now I'm buffered and I'm not alone in this and I somebody else sees my world. That's a preview of Brain Science. If you love where we're going with this, send us an email to get on the list to be notified the very moment this show gets released. Email us at editors at changelaw.com. In the subject line, put in all caps, Brain Science, with a couple bangs if you're really excited. You can also subscribe to our master feed to get all of our shows in one single feed. Head to changelaw.com slash master or search in your podcast app for Changelaw Master. You'll find it. Subscribe, get all of our shows, and even those that only hit the master feed. Again, changelaw.com slash master. 